The comments heard on The View from a Pew are those of Mac McCoy and are not necessarily the opinions of his guests, his producer Garth, any one particular denomination or religion, the church lady, Mr. Lemke, Pastor Craig, or anyone else of sound mind and body. Now here is today's The View from a Pew, heard all around the world on YouTube. Just search for The View from a Pew. And thank you, Emily. Welcome back to Monday. Welcome to a, another new week and a new sets of radio shows this week and obviously podcasts. Um, we are talking for our second week about music. No, we're not playing any of it. There's a lot of people that will play your music for you. We are making certain suggestions of things you can look up of hymns and biblical music, but the history of music in the church. And last week we started out and we got to the point where we had finally heard the first orchestra and choir performed together for a temple dedication. And that was in Second Chronicles 15. What can you give me a year, any idea where that would be in our in our history? Obviously we're in the Old Testament. It was uh still now, it was roughly, still BC. roughly a, a thousand years uh, before the time of Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm not really good at all those specific things, so somebody can correct me there. But well, I, you're you're close enough. So uh, now we move into the the next portion, which are the next thousand years or until the birth of Christ, and then we're going to take a break from this and come back and do the last part of the music in the church uh, a couple of uh, months or so later. I'm Mac McCoy. And my guest host is Delmar Austin. He's a pastor, uh, a retired pastor here in town. And again, we continue our conversation on how wonderful it is to worship to the sound of music. In Old Testament times, we talked about how the book of Psalms is a song book. And it has words, uh, it had melodies at one time all the way through that people could sing They could sing these things, and as they sang, they would remember the words of Scripture better. One of the uh, texts of Scripture that we still have today with connected with a melody is uh, from Psalm 100, and uh, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. There's a little, and I told you I wouldn't break into singing very much. I'll go ahead. Just to give an illustration here. Uh, this is from He Has Made Me Glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. See, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little snappy song. It's, uh, you know, the current, the melody that's part of it just reminds us of the, the, the words, the melody, all reminds us about the, uh, the beauty and the reason for worshiping God, to go in and remember about the good things that he has done. So I will come in with thanksgiving in my heart. I will come in with praise. We are told over and over again in the book of Psalms Psalms, that we should sing unto the Lord. Singing is a big part of our worship. You know, I hate to say this, but you go into a lot of congregations today, and there's music that's taking place, and the people just sit back. Yeah, they don't. They don't even uh, try to join in. Well, if they, the words aren't on the screen, we don't know what to do anymore. Well, you know, hopefully the words will be on the screens. But even when 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 uh, that oh, happens, I see. or they don't have a yeah. hymnal, they just sit back. 
and, and they don't become engaged. And part of the whole experience of worship has to do with singing. And even if you are deficit in that area of being able to create music, you should, you should sing along. You should at least repeat the words that are part of worship because yeah. that is what God wants us to do. And nobody cares if you're out of tune or flat or sharp. And if they do, well, shame on them. I don't like to say that to people because Satan is the one that gives us shame. But don't be critical of someone singing in church. They're they're worshiping the same way you are. Uh, maybe you do it better than they do. But let, let's give an inch or a mile or as much space as somebody needs to worship in church with song. I think we do have a, a tendency uh, to sit back. We have, we have so many ways that music is provided for us. Uh, we have it on our phone. We have oh, it yeah. on our computer. We have it uh, on our stereo systems at home. We have, we have all this music, and, and we're, we love to listen to music, but a lot of times we don't even try to sing anymore. We just kind of sit back. And part of the worship experience is actually going and singing and uh, feeling inspired by what is happening with the music that's taking place. So Psalms is reminding us about that. Psalm 150 reminds us that musical instruments are all a part of this. You know, it's not just vocal music that we're talking about here. Uh, Psalm 150 makes a list. Uh, Praise God with the trumpet, the lute, the harp, the tambourine, the strings, the pipe, the cymbals, even the clanging cymbals. (laughs) Some people may uh, object to that, but even the clanging cymbals, the one that makes a lot of racket and noise, uh, include that in worship. The castanets are also a part of that. Uh, Music is something that ought to stir us. And uh, musical instruments are ways in which music is presented in a a greater way that we can appreciate. Yeah, I think as we discussed this, this came into my mind. I want to thank Janice and Michael Hoyt, who always sit in front of me, who never criticize me for thinking. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm not a great singer, but they allow me to worship that way. And uh, uh, maybe they wear earplugs. I don't know. But they've never turned around in all the years and said something to me. So I'm thankful for other people and how they let me worship. That's good. One of the traditions that developed in Old Testament times after the temple was built there in Jerusalem was uh, the people of Israel came to Jerusalem three times a year for religious festivals to take place. They came at Passover. They came at the time of, um, let me find it here, at the time of Pentecost and at the time of Tabernacles. Those were the three main feasts that they were invited to come to. Well, they're coming from all over Israel. They are staying in Jerusalem for a few days to worship and praise God and and to do sacrifices and then go back home again. While they are coming to the Temple Mount, this is where the temple was built. Right. There are steps that are still there today, steps that led up to the Temple Mount. As they would get to certain steps, they would stop as a group of people. And they would sing together. They would sing one of the psalms. And they, they, then they would move to a different level. And they would stop again. And they would sing another one of the psalms because they recognized where they were going was very special and very holy as they were coming to the temple. But they were showing their appreciation of all this by the music that they were singing. 
So music is very important. And, and we have to remember all of this in the Old Testament is before the time of Christ. Yeah. So they're not singing about Jesus. They're, they're, they may be singing about the Messiah, but they're not singing because they, don't, they, don't, they haven't seen the revelation of Jesus into this world yet. But they're still praising God and worshiping God. And uh, the same is true for New Testament times. We still need to be involved in uh, music as part of worship. Yeah, I was trying to think today if I can recall any scripture where Jesus is singing. I don't think I can recall any, or is there? Well, there is one that, okay. that pretty clearly defines that Jesus is singing. Not that he sang a solo, but that he sang with his disciples. But even though, Mac, even though Scripture doesn't exactly say that Jesus sang here or sang there, he must have sang. sung. Yeah. It, right. was, it was a part of Jewish tradition to sing as you worship. And so he must have sung many, many times. But the, uh, the text that we have in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30 is after the Lord's Supper is shared together. And you might remember, if you read through the Gospel of John, that there is a fair amount of time that Jesus talks with his disciples. And then he prays for his disciples. I mean, they must have gone into a lot of conversation that night uh, in the upper room uh, during the time of the Lord's Supper. Now, before they leave, they sing a song. This is very significant because what happens after they leave the upper room? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens in the garden? This is a real major test of the faith of Jesus as he goes there, recognizing what's going to happen, recognizing the torture and the pain that he's going to go through and, and the death that he is going to experience and uh, he is overwhelmed by, the, by the, the feelings of depression as he recognizes all that, that sin has done and, uh, and what has to take place in order to provide salvation. But before he goes, he sings. He sings with the other disciples. It doesn't say what they sang, but they sung a, a, uh, a hymn, no doubt, uh, that remembered about the faithfulness of God and how God is always faithful and leads us through those difficult times. We are discussing different ways of worshiping with song this week. We invite you to send us an email if you'd like, Mac, M-A-C, like macaroni, at The View from a Pew. We'd love to hear from you. Now, last Friday, I gave you a challenge going into the weekend. And I know some of you uh, have, were paying attention because I got some emails, and I thank you for that. But I want to read you something that Jeremiah says in the book of, well, Jeremiah, and it's in chapter 31, and it starts with verse 32. And this is one of the places that the Lord clearly, clearly talks about forgiveness and forgetfulness. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to help them, declares the Lord. He goes on and he talks about, I'm going to write my law on their hearts and in their minds so they'll never forget it. 
I'll be their God, and they will be my people. Listen to what God's saying there. You're my people. I'm your God. We're in this together. There's no hierarchy here. We're together on this. Then he says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying they will already know this. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Can you forgive and forget? Jesus says it's possible. God promised his people that. Let's fulfill that promise, you and I. That doesn't mean we have to be associated with someone again that hurt us. You know, that, 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 that wound may never leave us. But if we just give that wound to Jesus Amen. and say, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to handle what he did to me or she did to me or they did to me. And I can't handle it. And I'm not up for it right now. So I'm going to give it to you. And Lord, you just teach me how to forgive and teach me how to live a life without that hanging over my head. Because whether you know this or not, we forgive for ourselves, not for other people. It really doesn't matter whether they know or not. What matters is you, and God knows. And when you forgive somebody, I'm telling you, God's a happy, happy God. Because he is our God, and we are his people. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven. That's how important it is. So the next time you can't forgive somebody, remember Jeremiah 31, 32. Not only does he forgive, but he also says no more. Will I remember your sin? Divine Truth Christian Store, where you'll find more.